from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Amen. Thank you, Gemma. Now, before, before we talk about that a little bit, I've, I've, I've grabbed this from Lorraine during that. And uh, do you mind opening it? I'm scared of damaging it. <laughs> now, if we look around, can we all agree that we all want everybody else in this room to have a good Christmas? Oh, no, we don't, obviously. <laughs> oh, oh, we might need to have a little bit of counselling about that. <laughs> so, um, is it, was it, you made this. 
Thank you. Um, so we've got a Christmas card uh, for everybody. This will go on the, on the board downstairs for us to sign and say Happy Christmas uh, to everybody else. Now, I'm not stopping you do Christmas cards if you want to. I love Christmas cards. I just don't think I'm going to have time to write quite as many of them this year as I normally would. Uh, but I do want you all to have a good Christmas. Um, so we will sign this, and it is a way of just sharing uh, a, a Christmas greeting to everybody in church. Um, so thank you for making that. And whilst on the subject of Christmas cards, please don't forget to save your stamps for any that you are sent through the post. Cut off, if you can't, don't have time to cut them off, Ali has very kindly said, just bring the envelopes and she will cut them. Uh, there does need to be a gap of a centimetre around each stamp, uh, but put them in the red box, which is on the bookshelf outside, and that way uh, BMS can get some money for free, basically. So um, please remember that when you're thinking about, when you're receiving all your hundreds of Christmas cards at home. And talking of Christmas, right, let's have a think about this passage. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we spend just a few moments considering it uh, this morning, open our hearts to hear the message that you have to say to us, that anything that is of human, uh, human uh, origination um, is forgotten. Lord, we want to honour and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're having a little think about hope this morning. So what are you hoping for for Christmas? Apart from hundreds of Christmas cards so that you can give lots of stamps to BMS. <laughs> what, who's in the market for some new slippers? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. New slippers here. Anybody in the market for maybe um, new socks? Could all the men please put their hands up now? <laughs> Um, who, uh, what about maybe a new diary? That's always a good, stop, solid... We all do everything online now, don't we? All, it's all electronic diaries. Um, who thinks they're hoping for the most unusual present, or do they not want to admit that out loud? You'd like an unusual one. <laughs> okay, right, we, might have, we can have a conversation about that later, maybe. Okay. Another popping though. Um, but what else are you hoping for? Time with the family without worrying about a bubble size. Remember last year? Who do we bubble with? Who, which relatives do we upset? Perhaps we're hoping that COVID restrictions don't come back. And after the last 48 hours, I think that has become more of a, a pressing thought. Perhaps, like me, all you're really hoping for is to get everything on your to-do list done. But it's all very well thinking about hopes we have for the future. But what about the things that we had hoped for once? The things that in years gone by seemed a possibility, but time has progressed, hopes have diminished, and even if that hope is, full, is still there, fulfillment seems as distant as the stars. And what about those hopes that we once held that we think have been dashed entirely, that really there is no hope left? This is a story about hopes that were unresolved, but then they were spoken and they were shared. In the opening of this book, Luke tells us that he is setting out to write an orderly account of the events. And it would be easy for him to have started, like Matthew, with the genealogy of Jesus. But you have to go into chapter 3 of Luke before you get the genealogy of Jesus. 
But where would you start if you were writing a story uh, of, of the life of Christ? Perhaps you'd go like Philip with the Ethiopian, turn back to Isaiah and the prophecies that are held there. Or perhaps you would start at Genesis and see how through the Old Testament everything points to the birth of Jesus. Would we have started with a slightly off-centre stage couple, slightly obscure, in the margins, not the main event, but close to the main event? In some ways, we might wonder at this story's inclusion at all. Luke could just as easily have started at chapter 1, verse 26, with Gabriel's visit to Mary. But Luke clearly sees God at hand in the margins in the story of this slightly off-centre couple. And it has much to teach us. Not everything at all we will get through this morning. We are told a little of Elizabeth and Zachariah's backgrounds. We know that they are both of a priestly line, but there are two key things that we are told that we need to know about them. In verses 6 and 7, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. In this short section, Luke succinctly tells us of their unresolved hope. They were childless, Elizabeth could not conceive, and what is more, now they were both very old. But he starts off by telling us that their childlessness is not because they are unfaithful to God. That would have been the general belief at the time. Their childlessness would have been a deep personal tragedy for Elizabeth and Zachariah. Their hopes and expectations of family quietly chipped away at month by month, year by year. Enduring, no doubt, well-meaning advice, comments and pitying looks from those around them over the years. It must have been isolating and lonely. They would have been looked down on in society... It is no wonder Elizabeth later refers to it, to it in verse 25 as her disgrace. Even if once there was hope, their advancing years now clearly make it an impossible dream. Like Abraham and Sarah before them, the hope of a child is now laughable. The hope of a child was the hope of a miracle. But Luke, in describing their character for us, makes it clear this heartache is not because somehow God was punishing them for a lack of righteousness or that one or other of them had a secret sin of which they needed to repent. Again, think of Job's friends when we hear that sort of uh, idea being rehearsed in contrary to God's teaching. No, both Zachariah and Elizabeth, both of them are described as blameless, obedient and righteous before God. Elizabeth's disgrace, their disgrace, is a disgrace only before society, not before God. Do we need to remember that for ourselves? When there is a suggestion or even just an inference that a personal tragedy or a struggle or an illness is because of unresolved sin or a lack of righteousness or some other fault before God. It is a false gospel. 
the converse of this is to put forward the idea that blessings in this life are because of our own righteousness before God. The more righteous you are, the richer and the healthier you will be. But remember our reading from Ecclesiastes earlier on. Sometimes life isn't fair, and the Bible does promise there will be struggles. If we think that a righteous life leads to an easy, healthy, wealthy life, therein lies the so-called prosperity gospel, and that is not what the, gospel, the Bible teaches. Paul warns against such teaching in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7, there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let us be wary of this distortion of the truth. And Paul says that the person who proclaims such falsehoods should be accursed. Are we, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, harboring quiet hopes that are deeply personal and you feel the pain of struggle, perhaps over years of waiting and longing for a resolution? Are you beating yourself up, thinking, if only I was a bit more spiritual, if only I could work out what sin I needed to repent of, if only, if only. But you notice when we say, if only I, then we are focusing on ourselves and not looking to God for his wisdom. God may have reasons unknown to us why the hope for resolution or an answer to prayer has not yet come. But that reason will not be because of a lack of God's love or a lack of God's blessing. He may be teaching us, challenging us, drawing us to different things, better things. Maybe just wants us to learn a bit of patience. Let us never forget that God delights in his children. Elizabeth and Zachariah stayed faithful, blameless and, and obedient, even in the face of their deep, personal and unresolved hope. And after we've given, been given a bit of background on the couple, the actual events of the day talk, us, talk to us about spoken hope. Zechariah is a priest serving at the temple. The temple is the epicenter of Jewish worship, and it's not just any old act of service. He would serve at the temple twice a year, and on this occasion he has been chosen by lot to offer the incense in the inner sanctuary. Now, we don't discern God's will very much these days by drawing lots. But in the Bible, it was very much accepted that this was God's way of uh, making a choice. We think of the, uh, when they chose a replacement disciple for Judas. So it was very much viewed. Luke would be writing us, pointing us to the point that it was God's chosen, appointed time for Zechariah to serve at this time. And for Zechariah, it was a huge honour. This is on, an honour which is so great that once selected, a priest is not permitted, is not eligible to be selected again until all the other priests in their division have been chosen. Now, depending on which commentary you read, that is between 5,000 and 18,000 other priests. So if you have to wait for all of them to have their turn first, it is very, very unlikely that you will be chosen again. This really was a once-in-a-lifetime honour. And alone in the sanctuary, Zachariah is confronted by Gabriel, although at first he's an unnamed angel. We are told that Zachariah was startled and gripped with fear, which seems to be the standard response when you 
have a visit from an angel. And Gabriel speaks these words, do not be afraid. Again, modus operandi for an angel. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now we know what he goes on to say. But in that moment, Zechariah didn't. He was in the, in the sanctuary as part of his priestly duties. And he would have been expecting to pray for the hopes of the nation of Israel. He was praying on behalf of the people outside for the fulfillment of their hopes, perhaps even a prayer for the longed-for Messiah. We have absolutely no reason to think in that moment that Zechariah would have been praying for anything else. We know he was a righteous priest. He would have been doing his duty and praying for the hopes of the people, not his own personal expressed, uh, his own personal wish for a child. And that is why Gabriel goes on to say and changes that hardship, that heartache, into a moment of joy. Zechariah is praying a corporate prayer, but Gabriel makes it personal. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, he says, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. So in the story, we have this pivotal moment where the mood shifts from a, a, a sadness of childlessness to the joy of an impending birth. Not only does this clarify for Zachariah which prayer is being answered, but it tells us two things. One, that Zachariah must have prayed that prayer for a child in the past. Your prayer has been answered. He had declared it, he had prayed it to God at some point, as to what Elizabeth and him were longing for. Zechariah had clearly been active in bringing his hope to God, not passive. Their hopes had been, had been committed to prayer rather than just leaving it as wishful thinking and begrudging complaints. And secondly, it tells us that God had not forgotten that prayer, even if time and years had passed, even if they might have almost certainly given up hope God was still going to answer that prayer in his timing and in his way. Now, we're probably not surprised to work out that Zachariah and Elizabeth had specifically prayed for a child. But do we sometimes actually overlook praying for something that we hope for, that God is prompting us to pray for? We just either complain or just talk about it, don't actually commit it to the Lord in prayer. And perhaps feeling that bringing our hopes to God is a little bit selfish or trivial. Do we sometimes not admit to others that we would like them to pray for something in our lives? We go, oh, no, no, it's fine. Like Zechariah, we need to speak out our hopes and our prayers. Yes, we are called to intercession and pray for each other. And we don't want to come with just a, a list of everything we want, but God does still want us to express the hopes of our hearts. I'm not talking about that song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Not prayers like that, but prayers that really reflect your heart. It's okay to ask for blessing, but we ask with a humility, not because we think we deserve it. Let's not forget those characteristics of Zechariah and Elizabeth, righteous, obedient, blameless. 
Their childishness had not caused them to become bitter or faithless. They weren't angry with God, thinking that they deserved a child. If God chooses not to bless us in the way that we want, in our timing, it's not a reason to wander from the truth. Michael Phillips, in his book, Make Me Like Jesus, sums it up like this. Faith based based on blessing from God, rather than trust in God, is in reality no faith at all. Faith based on blessing from God, rather than trust in God, is in reality no faith at all. God had not forgotten their prayer. They had stayed faithful even though it would need a miracle. I cannot promise that every prayer for blessing will be answered. But we do need to know that they are not forgotten. our prayers are not forgotten by God. But we do need to speak them out first as well. And as I said, this, Zechariah was praying a corporate prayer in the temple. This was the busy center of Jewish life. And we mustn't underestimate the significance of the, ta- the temple in the everyday lives of Jewish people. So, although in one sense this was a deeply personal message and encounter for Zechariah, it was actually played out in a reasonably public way. He was alone in the inner sanctuary, but verse verse 10 tells us the whole assembly was waiting outside. As I've said, the whole assembly would be 5,000 to 18,000 people. And then in verse 21 to 23, when the people are waiting... Uh, sorry, the people are waiting, and of course he could hardly hide from them the fact that he had been struck deaf and mute in the temple. Their wondering at the delay is notable in verse 21, because it was expected that Zechariah would not spend too long in the sanctuary, not because the prayers were to be rushed, but because of the belief that you could not spend too long in the glory, in the presence of the glory of God reflecting Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, where God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. There was that sense of the inner sanctuary being so holy that you couldn't tarry there for too long because of the power of God's holiness. So as they were waiting outside, they weren't just milling around, they were participating in worship too. Even as Zechariah was praying in isolation inside, they would have been praying outside too. His prayers were mingled with those of the crowds. And sometimes we might feel isolated in prayer, but actually we pray alongside others. We are part of the wider church. That is why, for instance, when we pray, Thy kingdom come for our loved ones each year, Those individuals that we pray for might represent our personal prayers, but we join in the wider prayers of the church to say, thy kingdom come, to see God's outpouring in the world. And in the message from Gabriel, there is a dual aspect to that promise, God has heard your prayer. After pronouncing the promise of the longed-for son, Gabriel goes on to say, many will rejoice at his birth, and then goes on to outline the national implications for John. He is answering, God is answering two prayers at once, both individual and corporate. 
This is no doubt, I'm sure, far more than Zechariah and Elizabeth could have dreamt for in their wildest dreams, that their son would be part of God's message to the nation. They didn't know it, but their prayers and hopes for a child were actually intrinsically interlinked with the prayers for the people of Israel. In God's miraculous way, he is able to do more than we can think or imagine. He answered the individual and corporate prayers at the same time. Their son was declared to be part of the answer. He was part of of God's plan. What an incredible turnaround. Elizabeth, whose childlessness had made her a disgrace in society, people would have looked down on her, but she was to be the mother of the one who would be set apart by God to announce the longed-for Messiah. The proclamations of, of Gabriel, that even before his birth he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would go in the spirit and power of Elijah, these all go to show how special that baby was be, would be. God's gracious choice, choice of Zechariah and Elizabeth was truly honouring. And through John, their son, God was ushering in the preparation for the whole nation to be pointed to Jesus. Remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth had not had a promise like Abraham and Sarah that they would bear a son. This came even more out of the blue for them. And we don't have the promise of when or how God will answer our prayers, but it is part of the Christian faith that we live in hope. Not just the certain hope for eternity with God, uh, but in in hope for prayers to be answered. But this story does too tell us that God is at liberty to answer in his sovereign and perfect way. In those miraculous, able to do more than we can think of imagine or imagine way. So we pray in hope. We pray in hope because we never know when unresolved prayers, unresolved hopes might be resolved. We never know how our prayers might be interwoven with God's master plan for somebody else's life. We never know what God's perfect timing will be, how his miraculous hand will will answer prayers in ways that we could not think or imagine. And we pray in hope, speaking out what is in our deepest hearts, because God loves us, his children. We are in relationship with him if we have set our heart and our trust in him. Let us share our hopes with him for this season and for the time ahead. And as we spend a few minutes in reflection now, Paul's just going to play some music to give us a chance to reflect on what hopes do we have that we want to present to God? What prayers do we have for this season? What prayers are we going to share with the wider church and allow God and his sovereign, uh, sovereign will and his sovereign plan to answer in ways that we perhaps don't expect. So we'll just spend a few moments in reflecting now. Father God, help us to learn from the example of Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
that when we have deep personal struggles, help us not to lose sight of who you are. Help us to be patient and to be humble, knowing that your ways are best. We thank you that you do not overlook our deepest needs. You do not overlook what is on our heart, what is troubling us. Lord, speak to us in our innermost being. Forgive us when we fail to speak to you, when we fail to spend time with you, allowing you to minister to us. And Lord, help us to know that we are part of your bigger church, part of your family, that our hopes and needs may well be intertwined with someone else's that we may be encouraged and know that we are not in isolation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.